Yeah, Father God, I just want to thank you for the words that you've already brought, the, the, the personal care that you have for us, the, the fact that we, although you are the light, we're also a light. But also, Lord, you do equip us. And I, I pray now, I know John's going to come and he's going to preach and he's going to talk about you as our father. He's going to talk about us being adopted as your sons and daughters. And Lord, I want to pray. Maybe we've heard this before and maybe we haven't. Maybe it kind of washes over us. But Lord, I pray for open hearts this morning as John comes to preach. I pray for John that you will fill him with your spirit. That Lord, that what he's prepared, you will just seal in his heart, Lord. And I just... I just pray that this will be a message that will remind us of what you've done, who you are, but also who we are in you. Not because there's anything special about us, but because of what you've done with us. And Lord, let these words not wash over us this morning, Lord. May the truth of your word be sealed in our hearts. And may we be different because of what you are going to say to us, Lord. And I just pray you'll help John and just encourage him now as he comes and preaches from your word, Lord. Yeah, we thank you for John and for his heart and his passion, Lord. And may you just bless him, Lord, and and just be with him, Lord. Yeah, Mm. amen. Amen. I wonder if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and find verse 15. Romans chapter 8, those that know me well, is um, uh, a chapter dear to my heart. It's something that you can study for your whole life and still get more out of it. I want just one verse at this time, and uh, just give me an indication throughout the room when you've found that in your Bibles, would you? I want to also say that in the talk today, when I talk about sons, I most emphatically mean sons and daughters, not sons as in just male offspring only. And when I talk about God the Father, I want you to understand that I'm talking about God with both attributes of fathering and mothering. Now, that might surprise some of you. should please the feminist amongst you, but uh, God is parent, if you like, except in terms of God, the God of the, uh, the, God of the Godhead, the, the head of the Godship, ooh, losing my way there, we, we refer to him father for a def, very definite reason. There's authority there. There's um, the carrying of the final authority there, with all that that means. You might have guessed the title of this talk is Our Father. Now, loosely linked to a series that you will have seen that we're going to attempt to um, share with you on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it was only after I'd felt God say that this is what he wanted me to speak today that I realized that it's Our Father, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. So this is not really a lead-in, but it does link. Our Father, part one, the adoption. I thought it looked grabbing when I wrote that down. Part one, the adoption. I'd write a book about it, except it would probably be full of blank pages. (laughs) I quite like to write a book, but I'm not sure I'd have the patience. Okay, Romans 8. Have you got it? Hands up if you got it. Well done. I'm reading from the New International Version. If you have a slightly different version, that um, should help, not hinder you. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. I want to put before you that this, is, this Abba, Father, is the fundamental cry of the human heart. Most of humanity don't even realize it. They don't even realize it, that they've got a yearning inside them to call God Father. 
But there is an emptiness there that we're all aware of before we become Christians. And some of us, um, once we're Christians, never fully walk into that calling him Abba, Father. I looked up Abba, and uh, I wanted it to say one thing. Unfortunately, it didn't. What it... uh, what I wanted it to say was daddy. Now, the reason I wanted it to say that was because I've been talking to my sister and she said that um, in her walk with um, God, she came to a point when uh, she was being prayed for for something and uh, she had this um, picture. I hope I'm refer- relating this correctly. Please forgive me if it's slightly out of order. Um, but the essence is there. And she found herself rushing into this room as a young child, I think she said something around the age, age of four years, and Jesus was there, and uh, she was little and he was big, and she ran up to him and she jumped on his lap, and she was busy telling him everything she'd done that day, kicking his legs as she did so, like little kids do. And she, in part of her mind as she was talking, she didn't actually say this, but I sensed that she felt that that was a bit irreverent to be doing that to Jesus. And yet in the vision that she had, she was doing it, and it felt good. Now, I wanted Abba to mean Daddy. I really did. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite mean Daddy. Most Bibles or commentaries that you read will say it means Father, and we'll leave it at that. And that's not good enough for me. I realise that that's not quite what I needed to hear. I started researching from a bad standpoint, but my research was good. And the, the, um, the consensus of opinion... And translating from one language, particularly a slightly defunct language in Aramaic, is difficult. But the essence is, seems to be this, a respectful and intimate term for father. You've got the two sides. You've got the respect, but the intimacy. It's a term used by somebody who is not afraid to approach somebody who they respect. And that's... Very important. And I was so glad that I didn't get my daddy interpretation. In fact, a lot of the things that I looked at said, Abba does not mean daddy. It's not a word that um, children use. It's a word that sons or daughters use for a respected parent. Um, I wonder what you think about a father that... um, in that light, if I say father, a lot of you will have different ideas. Some of you will, will um, have one view and some another. I want us to watch a clip that's uh, from a, a Ray Mears video. Um, I quite like Ray Mears videos. And this clip, you'll probably wonder as you watch it, now why is he showing us that? But this is about a man who got lost with his son on a mountainside and after eight days is convinced that he would die. And he's convinced that his son would die with him. So, Ruth, I don't know if that's coming up yet. We're having a little bit of problems there. The the whole essence of this clip is the fact that they didn't choose to be there. They suddenly found themselves in situations over which they had no control, and the father has to make a choice. We're just talking really slowly now, in case the clip should happen to come up even as I speak, but not to worry if it doesn't. Give me a wave if you think it's not successful, Ruth. No, it's not coming up. Okay, let me describe it then. 
Uh, as I said, the man was out skiing in the mountains in the deep snow. He thought he was going down one side of the mountains, and uh, actually he was going down the opposite side. And as you can imagine, of those of you who have been skiing or been on mountains, that leaves him miles and miles away. Instead of stopping and camping out and waiting to be found, he decides, because of his um, naval training, or, or um, I think it's actually his Air Force training, that he can find his way back. He doesn't want to spend the night on the mountain, so he presses on. He gets himself further and further away and deeper and deeper into uncharted territory. At the point where he realises he's not going to get back, they are far from civilization. They have no hope of reaching civilization. So they bivouac with the idea they're going to get home the next day. That goes on for eight days, by which time they are substantially dehydrated because they have no means to melt the snow except by melting it. I I think he tried melting it in his hands. And they manage to keep enough water to keep alive. He has frostbite. They found a small cave, just a a, a shelf that they can tuck underneath. And um, they basically wait it out. Two helicopters go over and raise their hopes. They wave, try to get attention, but can't. So after eight days, the father decides that if he's to save his son's life, he must leave him. At that point, he describes it so well in the video... And we will show it to you if we ever get it. But um, I found my heart torn when I'm watching it, and I expect you do too. There's his son, who is probably about 12, cuddling under the rock. He dresses him in his coat and then skis off down the mountain. I I can see the expressions on your faces now. I mean, he, he says, he says, it's the hardest decision I have ever made before or after, and I hope I never have to make a decision that's half as hard again. And um, it's incidental that he mentions that he's a Christian to the clip. Okay. <clears throat> and despite my frantic waving, did not spot us. It seems more and more the path the Lord is calling us on. Matthew's been a real trooper. The hardest part of this whole ordeal is watching him suffer. He wants me to relay to all of you how much he loves his family. Mark, I am very proud to be your father. Thanks for your patience when I was less than nice. Marisa, you are a special person. I have not always known what to do with all your energy, and sometimes even the impulsive expressions of your love for me. I'm sorry. And let me say right now that I love you back. Mary, my heart and soul forever, Mike. After eight days on the mountain without rescue, Mike was faced with an impossible choice, either staying put and facing the near certainty that he and Matt would die under the rock, or leaving his son completely alone while he went to find help. The worst decision I've ever had to face, you know, before and since. I hope I never face a decision that difficult again. He struggled to some huts several miles away, but by the time he got to them, he was utterly exhausted. To his despair, they were empty, and as darkness fell, he hadn't the strength to get back to Matt. Tormented by the thought that his son might be dying, All Mike could do was pray for him as his frostbite started to thaw. If you can just imagine your 
worst sunburn that you've ever had and magnify that by 10 or 100 times, you're going to get kind of close to what that feels like. That kept me awake, but then also I think the worry of what's Matthew going through in this cave, you know, I think that kept me awake as much as anything else. For two days, Mike was torn apart, haunted by fears for his son, but unable to move from the hut. Then miraculously, he heard a bus and knew it was their only chance of rescue. I think time slows down, especially when you're wanting someone to help you. I, but you know, eventually they approach me, and um, turns out it's not skiers at all. It's lumberjacks, very uh, rough-looking sort. Didn't speak a word of English. And um, I'm thinking, well, I got to tell these folks how to get to my son. I'd gotten five months of language training, so I was able to communicate pretty well. It was less than an hour later he was on my lap. I want you to imagine how you would feel if you were in God's shoes. Does he wear shoes? Maybe big. Imagine yourself there watching as your sons and daughters ignore you on a day-to-day basis and walk into danger. Now, there's only a, um, a parallel here. We've got a human father and what he feels, which you can identify with. What we tend not to do is realize that God is our father. I wonder if you turn to Galatians 4, verse 4, and we're going to use this as a, a basis for just exploring what God feels and what he did about it. Paul writes this to the Galatians. What I'm saying is that As long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God's answer to our needs, that overwhelming cry of the human heart for a father is to be our father. And he does this by by three means. One, we start off separated. Uh, This verse, this whole section in Galatians, you could use for so many preachers. You could use it to um, preach on predestination, salvation, um, uh, also end times. It goes through the whole thing. These few verses goes through the whole section. And yet, the overriding theme is this. God did not save us primarily just to be saved. He did not save us primarily to serve him. Those are all sub-elements to the real thing, which is he saved us to adopt us into his family. And it's not just adopted in inverted commas. It's not just trick language. It's not just an illustration. It's real. It's real. It's what we were created for, but not all of us walk into it. In giving us free will, because 
it was necessary for us to have free will to love him, God, in effect, chose to walk away from us to save us. In actual fact, he never walked away from us. We walked away from him. So that would be a false um, a theology to say that. But as picture language to relate to the clip we've just seen, so that you can feel that feeling, God accepted that we would walk away from him. He watches us walk away from him. He allows us to do things which harm us in the knowledge that we will be hurt. Not content with that. Before the foundations of the earth, he decided that he would send his own son. His, his, if one could put it that for God, in, again, in verse of flesh and blood, part of, one with, to die for us. So the barrier that the Bible teaches that sin puts in the way between us and God would be torn aside. So although God cannot, by his own decision, control us and make us come back to him, he's very attractive. I don't know if you experience times. Some of you here will be Christians of long standing, some of short standing, some not Christians at all. But I don't know if you've ever experienced God speaking to you. I did. I use it in my testimony. I can't remember it clearly, but I think I was about four. And I used to talk to Jesus. And and when I say on Alpha Course, I say I I, I had Jesus as a friend. And um, I thought I got the wrong one because the one that preached at church didn't seem quite so loving. So I ignored him. (laughs) But Jesus talked to me. He was concerned about me. God is the same. He runs after us, it seems. So whereas in that clip we see the father walking away for the good of his son in a similar heart, but a different direction, God runs after us. So much does he love us. He saves us by the death of his son and brings us into relationship with him if we should choose that. And it says that God is not willing that any should perish. No one. But as Paul says, it's like the sons running around in the playground of the world with the, sons, with, the, with the sons of this world. And we don't know which are which. If you wanted to preach on predestination, this seems to be a good thing. We don't know which are which. So we reach out to all and share what God has done for them. And yet at the time, when Jesus comes into their life, it becomes made plain. Those who are sons walk into their inheritance. God wants to make us part of his family. That's point two. He not only wants to save us, which is what for a long time I thought, that God was content just to save me, which left me in somewhat of a vacuum. The trouble is with the vacuum, it attracts anything, doesn't it? And I find myself attempted to return to my sin. I need a purpose. God wants me to be part of his family. That gives me purpose. It gives me identity and it gives me a place. In this world. Reading on. Because, of, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Now there's an explanation of the, of the work of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of his son. Jesus said, I, I, I need to go so that one can come to you just like I am. He will remind you of everything that I've said. Well, of course he will. The Holy Spirit comes and not only stands beside us, but he comes and lives in us. That was the biggest experiential miracle I have ever had. And 
In my growing up in a church environment, nobody told me I could have it. They talked about the Holy Ghost, which was a bit weird. And then some friends came and said about the Holy Spirit, and, and you can have and you can have him live in you. And I thought, ooh, ooh, that's weird. But apart from my human side thinking, ooh, that's weird, I thought, yes, I want that. I do, I really want that. So I asked to be prayed for. And do you know what? I didn't sense a thing. I was expecting to, I don't know, something dramatic. Didn't sense a thing. But over time, I was aware of a difference. I was aware that I couldn't put the Bible down. And not because I was um, zombified, like, to read it, you know. I tried to go and read the Bible. I was excited by what it said, and I still am. Do you know what? This passage here, I said to Sam, I, I, when I'm doing preaching stuff, I can't quite often say, Sam, have you read this? And uh, I was excited by what my father intended for me. I have to stand before you and say, I'm preaching this, but I'm on the verge of it. Um, this is a journey I'm walking into. I don't know God as Father as I would. But I know that he wants me to. So I'm talking to you and preaching to you, but also I'm saying, oh, come on, let's go on this journey together and discovering this wonderful God who is the perfect Father. We may have different experiences of a father. In fact, my experience was good. My, my mum and my dad loved me. They didn't love each other. And we had a little house, and how on earth two parents that don't love each other can divide a small two-bedroom house with seven of us in it into two? I don't know, but that's a miracle, really. But that's the situation I grew up in. But I knew that each parent loved me. But some people don't. God can never be less than a human father. The attributes of a good human father are a reflection, very poor, of what God wants us to see. What he is is so much more. He cares for us. Paul talks about God disciplining us. And often if we've had a bad experience or a, dis, um, a disciplinarian upbringing, we might focus on the discipline and forget that Paul couches it in because he loves us. And he does not want us to walk into danger. The whole thing about God is he wants to share with us. He wants us to operate with him. And the operation is the subject of another talk. But that is point three. God wants to bring us into a destiny in him. He wants to give us a future. Not content with saving you. Not content with bringing you into his family. Which is your proper place. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Do you understand that? In Roman culture, when somebody adopted a son, it, you know, they could do that. Some, some um, Roman families would adopt a slave, I understand. If they had no sons of their own, or if perhaps they saw attributes that they admired. I don't know. I'm guessing that second bit. But certainly there are records, many, many, many records, of people being adopted into a family. When you were adopted into a family, you had full right and status of a son. Full right and status. Legally, you had everything that a son had. That's us. The picture is huge. It's mind-boggling. It's as mind-boggling as thinking about an ever-expanding universe. What God has, we are heirs to. 
I, haven't, I have to confess to you, I haven't often thought about this. It's too big. It gives me excitement about what is before us. What has God in store for us? Which we see but a small foretaste of here. It throws up things like, um, you know, it says that the whole of creation groans for the revelation of the sons of God. Maybe that means more than we think it does. That reminds me, Adam was set in charge of the garden. You know, God gave him authority, he gave him responsibility. He gave him the opportunity to work with him in uh, um, being involved with what God had created, the Father had created. If that was for Adam, what's for us? And that again is for exploration in another talk. God wants us, one, to accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour so that we can understand or begin to understand, as I find myself doing. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I think I ought to have got this sussed. But such is the grace of God that I haven't got much sussed, but I'm learning slowly about each different thing. And each thing I learn excites me. (laughs) Doesn't it excite us when we learn about what God has for us? Wouldn't it be wonderful to wipe aside our misconceptions of sonship and walk into the joy of knowing a father who loves us. You think to yourself, I've done things wrong. I thought that when I became a Christian, you think, I don't, of course, <laughs> um, that you know, I, I'd sinned up to that point, there was a cut-off point, I should sin no more. After about a week, you had to reevaluate. <laughs> I'm not asking you a question, I'm making it as a statement because I know it to be true. And it is also true of me. <laughs> At that point, we think to ourselves, maybe I've blown it. And we read certain scriptures in Hebrews and we think, gosh, that seems to back up the fact that I've blown it. Oh no, reflect on what I said about that. Although we as human fathers and our own human fathers can never be what God is, they will show the good part of their, um, their actions, will show good attributes. What father, what good father, I should say, will not love his son or daughter when they've been naughty. Otherwise, I would not have children. I don't mean that I wouldn't have had children. I mean that I would have divorced them from my family. Would I not? And sometimes I have been at my wit's end with my children, but I never stop loving them deeply. I would never, even in the darkest times, the, the depths of the arguments that we have that seem so small afterwards, don't they? Any argument seems massive at the time, and the world goes black, and after it's gone, the sun comes out, doesn't it? It's the same for fathers, by the way, those of you who are children, and mothers as it is for children. But even in those darkest times, I would have given my life for any one of my children, I still would. Would you not? God did. God did. Short preach, that's the end. I wonder if you'd like to stand with me. You should study. You should not listen to a preacher and take what he says without checking it out. Do you understand that? We here have a responsibility to teach you well. You have a responsibility to check it out. You have a responsibility to study the word and see if what I say is true. You have another responsibility to tell me if I'm wrong. Gently, please. But also, you have a further responsibility to further explore these things for your own good. 
There are so many references that indicate that God's whole, whole purpose in salvation was to bring us into sonship. Not as a part of the scheme, but as the whole thing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you, you have... You are, what can I begin to say except thank you, Father, that, you, that we can call you Father. I remember the title of a book that I read once. I dared to call him Father by an Islamic girl, a Muslim girl, who um, in, a, in a situation where she faced death, if she turned to you, said, I dared to call him Father. Lord, we dare to call you Father. And we've come from many different backgrounds and we know that this is a tiny preach on the beginning of a, of, a, of, a, of a voyage. Lord, help us with that voyage. And Lord, I pray that you would spark um, your message into hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and seal this word into us. Amen. Thank you.